Let's go. All right, we got our second episode. This is the Absurdly Certain Podcast with Callan Nolan, your host. That's me. It's 2019, baby. We're getting this thing kicked off. Honestly, that's a bit of a joke. Since here we are, it's I'm recording this on January 30th. How could it already be so late into the new year? But you know what? For me, it is a new year. We got new choices. I'm pumped. We're going to get this kicked off in just a second. excited theme of our show here is going to be new year new choices and what that means for us in 2019 especially for me this is absolutely a new year i can't hold it in any longer even a minute into this podcast i've had a new baby boy come into my family my wife delivered our first child our son on january 2nd that's why we're here so late into january and i'm only getting around to recording this but i didn't want to miss an opportunity for a New Year's resolution kind of episode. I think that that's going to be a nice way for us to frame out the rest of what we're going to be talking about for 2019. It's always a good opportunity to look back, look forward, make some resolutions. Why not? As long as the calendar still reads one, I'm pumped. I'm ready to go and get, get after a brand new year. In the vein of a new year, I've kind of come up with a nice sentence here that are to frame the new year that I believe encaptures what it takes to make some fresh starts, right? Everyone likes a new opportunity, a fresh start. So the way that I've described it here, I'm, I'm going to read it to you. Hopefully it rings true for you the same way that it does for me. Fresh starts need honest accounting of the past, goals for the future, and a certain motivation. I broke down a fresh start into three different sections. So let's just hit on those really quick. Number one, a fresh start needs honest accounting of the past. A lot of people like to use the cultural maxim, forget the past. The problem with that is that we miss important opportunities to learn from the past if we just set out to forget it. If you say, I'm not happy with where I'm at, forget the past, I'm going to move forward. Obviously, there's some value to this. It means you're not being weighed down by the past. But if you're not able to be honest with yourself about why things happened in your history the way that they did, it doesn't seem super helpful in order to move forward in some way different. So I think that's the two elements of this. You have to be willing to be honest enough with yourself about your own choices and your own circumstances to give an account for why the past unfolded the way that it did. If you're able to do this first step, it allows you to then see more clearly to where you're going next. So this is the first part that we're going to take on a number of our different choices for this first episode of the podcast in 2019. You're going to be looking at an honest accounting of what happened in 2018. Number two, goals for the future. The only way that you can have a good fresh start is to have clear goals for the future. So as I just mentioned, you want to look back and then you want to look forward. If you don't have some concrete ways in which you have goals that are going to produce something new, you can't expect that you're going to go anywhere different. Everyone's heard the phrase, insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. But that could not be more true. If you haven't set a clear goal for what's going to be different and how you're going to measure that difference, which is another key theme of what we are going to talk about in this whole podcast, you can never expect to get there. You're aimless, right? 
So, number one, you need to be honest about what has happened in the past. Number two, we need to set a clear goal for the future. So that'll be our second lens with which we're looking through our different choices that we're going to talk about in the podcast. And lastly, you need a certain motivation. Obviously, I'm using part of the the title of the podcast there, certain. I think it's an important way to look at how and why you're doing what you're doing. Now, obviously, the why can be the most complex part of any choice. You don't know why half the time. Maybe it's just for something unspoken. You just know that what you've done isn't working. I don't feel right. I don't look right. The relationships aren't working right. I'm not satisfied. Any of those is a decent reason to say why you want something different. So this kind of merges the two ideas in the beginning part of what makes a fresh start. You need to know why you're unhappy with what might have happened in the past or you're dissatisfied with uh, how things played out. You also need to know why you're setting the goals that you're moving forward with. So I think that these are the three main elements of a fresh start. Got to look back, got to look forward, and got to know why uh, any of the results we're looking to accomplish in both the past and the future might motivate us to do something different in the present. So with that lens, we're going to go through our different key areas that I outlined in the introduction of the, of the podcast last week or last episode, I should say. And we're going to be looking at those fantasy choices, the low cost, quick feedback loops. We're going to be looking at the finance choices or any anything that goes into the resources of how we generate our income, what kind of choices we make, their higher cost, their higher complexity. And we're going to look to a slight element of those future choices, although there's not a lot of content that I have planned for that. Let's dive in right now and talk about uh, looking back, how we make a fresh start, looking forward, and why with our different choices. Fantasy decision making. It's around that time. A couple weeks have gone by for everyone, hopefully. Uh, no more fantasy football that I know of. Everyone has had a either great year or terrible year. You never hear about the people that are right in the middle. <laughs> but it's the end of fantasy season. It's been over for probably a couple weeks now. Same for me, for my different teams. As I talked about fantasy football, I have five teams. All of those those leagues and seasons wrapped up a few weeks back. It's, it's given me some now some good time to process and look back. I've aggregated my results, and so I thought I would just quickly go through uh, this this area again. If I'm losing you, if football's not your thing, I'm, I'm sorry. You either got to tough it out through the next few minutes of the podcast, or jump ahead until you hear that I'm no longer talking about it. But I wanted to do a quick rundown. This is that first area of decision making, fantasy football. Let's look back, look forward here. So looking back, I had five teams. I aggregated up. I had a 43 and 36 record overall. So that was a 54% win rate. I'm going to pause for a second for those math junkies out there going, wait a second, five football teams, 43 and 36. That's a total of 79 games. Five does not go into 79. How did that work? Well, in one of our leagues, uh, I did so well that I had a bye week in the playoffs and that accounts for the missing game. Uh, I'm Probably the only person who possibly could have thought that that was necessary to talk about because uh, I got it here in front of me in my notes. I thought I would hit on that for just a moment. So let's go over. Like I said, no one likes to talk about the average, although that was exactly what I had. It was a very average year, 54% win rate. I was winning more than I was losing, 43 out of my 79 games. I won, but it didn't produce quite the season I was hoping for. I mean, across five teams, you'd think, gosh, I got to win one of these things or maybe I should hang it all up. But that's why we're doing the Absurdly Certain podcast. We got to figure out how I take my five teams and turn them all into champions rather than having uh, one winner and a bunch of duds. So let's look back here. My The best team 
that I had, I share with a buddy of mine named Thomas. Shout out to Thomas if he's listening. Uh, we did phenomenally well in this league. We came second out of 12 teams. We also finished with the highest regular season points. It netted us a ton of cash. This is our biggest cash league, which is why, as I'll mention at the end of this, I still ended up in the black this year in terms of buy-ins and payouts. With this team, the, the unique thing about this team across all five was that this team had uh, the number one overall draft pick uh, in the draft. We were able to take our pick of anyone, of course, with the number one overall pick. This was a backwards and forwards decision. The truth is, I thought that a young man by the name of Ezekiel Elliott, running back for the Dallas Cowboys, was going to have an incredible year. I thought their offensive line still looked really good. I thought there was still opportunity for Zeke to be in all 16 games, unlike some of the controversy from last year. And I figured, you know what? I think Zeke's going to lead the league. Luckily, my very level-headed partner thought that we needed to go with the predictable excellence of another running back named Todd Gurley. And uh, reason prevailed in this situation. We went with Todd Gurley. Thank goodness that we did. I think he was our league winner in many aspects. This league is more of a touchdown-focused league. You get a lot of points for touchdowns, not as many points for things like yards, receptions, uh, and uh, that sort of thing. So Todd Gurley was just phenomenal. Led us to, to victory, scored two or three times in multiple weeks through the air, on the ground. He did it all. He was awesome. Uh, big reason why we came came out on top in this league. Another big reason was our extremely insightful pick. Let's call it that. I'm not going to say it was lucky. <laughs> Absolutely it was lucky. We took Eric Ebron as our second tight end. Now, anyone who plays fantasy football, this guy would have been on your radar. Eric Ebron is a tight end for the Indianapolis Colts. He had a great year. It was fortuitous uh, that he was bumped up in the depth chart. There was some issues in, in Indy with their tight ends. And he was just phenomenal. Uh, Andrew Luck found him in many games. He scored a ton of touchdowns, again, in a league that, that really helps and benefits from touchdowns. He was incredible. Our research paid off. We went after a guy who had switched teams, maybe was going to get some more opportunity. A tight end targeted uh, offense didn't have their same kind of firepower on the, on the wide receivers. And honestly, it just worked out really, really well for us. He led us extremely well. So for that league, our research paid off. It's the first draft that we do every year uh, that I do in terms of across my fantasy football teams. And it really paid off. This was our, our big success story for me in terms of fantasy football this year. So I'll quickly run down on the losers. Everyone hates to talk about this, but I have to talk about it because I'm, I'm learning from my choices. So we have our groups of losers here. I had a, actually had a fourth out of ten. This is a work league. It's not too bad. I still finished in the playoffs. Unfortunately, then, did terrible over the last two weeks. Couldn't get anything going in the playoffs. or didn't even end up in the money. Fourth out of ten in the work league. Uh, then I had two... Uh, other leagues where I came fifth out of eight. So this is a family league. And then a dynasty league, which could be interesting to talk about in the offseason in the upcoming months. The dynasty league is where you get to keep your players year over year. So it's, this will be going into our third year now. We've had two years. I had Todd Gurley in the dynasty league as well. It just didn't pan out for me quite as well. But a fifth out of eight, so bottom half, but just kind of right in the middle. And then my worst league, I finished eighth out of ten with some other old friends. And that's just abysmal. A, totally bottom feeder. I made the playoffs, but I lost everything in the consolation round of the of the playoffs. Uh, so at least I, I got out of, you know, just, I wasn't in the bottom nine where not bottom nine or 10th spot where I didn't get to even play those last few weeks, but I lost anyway. So I might as well have been across those four teams that really didn't do too well. Didn't have great results. 
standout failures were Kirk Cousins at quarterback and Jordan Howard. Kirk Cousins started off the year incredibly well. I thought he was going to pan out big time. I thought he was a great pick, value pick at quarterback. I usually hold off on my my quarterback uh, draft spots. But, man, he just struggled out there in Minnesota. They had a very disappointing year. He did not pan out the way I was really hoping. And then I also mentioned Jordan Howard, running back from the Bears. Uh, I was expecting him to really do some, some good things, be reliable. I took him as my second running back in a lot of these leagues. And he just really, really struggled, did not have a lot of great games this year and uh, had to had to ditch him, honestly, in some of those leagues. So, you know, we can't tell the future. Fantasy football, fantasy sports are it's a very unclear realm to play in, but it keeps me coming back. And I hope that uh, I can improve. I think I made some really poor choices this year. In the draft, although overall my draft choices I think were really good, I just didn't pursue great waiver pickups. I sort of stuck when I shouldn't have stuck. I twisted when I shouldn't have twisted. I made some poor midseason moves. But the truth is I was still winning more than I was losing, even across all these leagues. It's tough. It's always going to be tough. The more teams you have, uh, if a draft strategy that you have doesn't pan out, a player, for instance, guys I was targeting like Cousins and Howard didn't pan out. I was also targeting Ezekiel Elliott in a lot of those leagues, actually. Uh, I had draft spots that were lower down the order, and I was picking Zeke at maybe third, fourth, fifth in the drafts but Zeke just you know he had a good year but he, he wasn't strong enough at the value that I was taking him at maybe it would have had better opportunities taking a, a high-powered wide receiver this year I'll have to go back and look at the numbers that's usually what I go through in the offseason and it helps me uh, with my draft prep coming up but just a bit of a struggle uh, to, to get that right I want to look at the overarching themes of the decision making going forward too right so like one clear thing I had some recency bias I had some emotional decision making one clear thing that came out for me is specifically in the, the league that I'm in with a bunch of close family members is that in a week in which I had the best wide receivers I had Antonio Brown Juju Smith-Schuster and Devontae Adams so three of the top 10 wide receivers for the whole year up at this point this was like week six or seven I was facing an opponent that I had to be my brother. And I came to the dilemma that all three of these wide receivers were on a bye week in the same week. Now, if you know anything about fantasy football, you have to play two wide receivers in most leagues in order to have a full team. And you're only allowed to keep usually four or five on your roster. So I only had four wide receivers on my roster. I wanted to get two so I could feel the full team. I didn't know who to drop. I ended up dropping Juju Smith-Schuster destroyed my rest of the season. I had amazing wide receiver. I would have put up so many more points, but I dropped Juju Smith-Schuster because I wanted to field a full team in order to beat my brother. It was a moment of intensity, a moment of weakness. I failed. I lost Juju Smith-Schuster for the rest of the season. That league went horribly. That was one of the ones I, I landed fifth out of eight. Didn't get any money for that one. Uh, I should have kept him. Should have just said, you know what? If I lose this week, no big deal. I think I probably still would have won the week, honestly, if I'd only pay, played one wide receiver. Uh, but it's a lesson like that. Don't make that gut decision just because you want to beat someone. You got to stick to the strategy that you know. I picked three wide receivers heavily because of my draft spot. I would have been okay. I would have won several more weeks when I look back at what Juju Smith-Schuster was doing uh, as a result of whoever else I picked up on the wire to try to fulfill his spot. I think it was Taylor Gabriel. What a terrible choice. Taylor Gabriel. I don't even know how I could have come to that conclusion. I think he was hot. He had a couple good games. He's a bear. Just terrible. It was a horrible, horrible decision. It cost me big time. That's the kind of decision that I want to avoid and be absurdly certain that I am not doing something stupid like that in the future. So to wrap that up, 
for fantasy football. I did come out on top. Like I said, I finished in the black. I earned $145 across my five leagues this year. There are buy-ins and payouts across the different leagues based on how many people, how big stakes. Like I said, the one league that I did very, very well in, I split with a friend. It's a high buy-in, but we split the buy-in. We split the, the payout. It was still very profitable. Like I said, that's earnings after all my other pay-ins as well, after all my other buy-ins excuse me so that's pretty good we did it we did a good job this year uh earned some some cash hopefully next year we can do better i don't see why any of these leagues will go away if anyone from those leagues is listening let's keep it going i love fantasy football it'll be a lot of fun to keep it going if there's other people out there with fantasy leagues that are listening that i'm not involved in and you need another one hit me up the more data points we get the more teams i'm in the more choices i have to make the better content i can produce and uh, the better uh, this realm of fantasy decision making can help me try to see, am I, am I impulsive in my character? Am I too patient? Am I playing with my gut? Am I playing with my head? I want to work out how I'm making these decisions in the realm of fantasy sports, uh, specifically fantasy football. So that's a bit of a wrap up on 2018, looking back. And uh, certainly for 2019, I'm going to have good goals established as the episodes continue. Make sure that next year is going to be a phenomenal year for fantasy football coming up. Another passion of mine, fantasy Premier League, I want to talk about. So that's uh, going right now. There's still about 15 game weeks left in that. It's a different format, so I'll give a quick run over. That's a, it's a budget format, so basically everyone starts the season with 100 million or 100 pounds, however you want to look at it. It's a British uh, game, so you start with pounds, not dollars. There are other monetary systems in the world than, than dollars. So you start with pounds and you distribute your funds across a team. So different players are worth different things. You have some of the best uh, strikers in the game are worth 10, 11, 12 million. The highest rated player going into the season was Mohamed Salah, a midfielder from Liverpool. The guy like broke the game last year, scored a ton of goals, had a ton of assists. So he's worth, I think, 13 million. Uh, so you, you distribute your funds, you try to get as many players, you have to field a team of 11 on the field, plus four subs, a goalkeeper, plus three backups, and you come up with your squad of 15 total guys, and then you play 11 each week for the budget, and then there's a budget system based on how many people are being bought and sold, that then you can increase your budget for your team or decrease your budget for your team, and you try to have the right assets. So it's different than fantasy football in the sense that everyone who plays the game can have the exact same team. Uh, but it's kind of cool because that means that everyone's kind of trying to jockey for breaking a template or not. There's a lot of talk in the fantasy Premier League community about a template team. Like what's the best way to distribute your funds at any one time in the season? So it's a game, again, if anyone's interested in that, hit me up. I think it's a really fun, it's a slight twist on the fantasy football world. Uh, fantasy football world can either really reward you or punish you for making a choice where you get a hold of a player that everyone else wishes they had, but you get them early. That's a huge reward. Whereas in Fantasy Premier League, everyone has the same opportunity to get every player. So it's actually a little different. It's not like you can miss a chance and then that kind of screws you for the whole rest of the year. There's always a way to jockey back into position if you can make the right choices at the right times. Uh, so for that, I had a, in 2018 going into the year, I had a goal of finishing in the top 100,000, which maybe sounds like not very good, but I think there's something like 6 million people who play. So top 100,000 is actually like top 1%, like less than top 1% of finishers. So I really wanted to finish in that. Currently, I am sat somewhere at like 700,000. So doing way below what I'm trying, what, what my goal was, but still actually in the top 15% of finishers, something like that. And I've still got a, a ways to go here in order to accomplish that goal that I had of finishing in the top 100,000. So we'll keep 
uh, updating, and I'll keep talking about that uh, and some of my choices and some of my decision-making around that as well. So I think that wraps it up for fantasy sports choices at the moment. Next, we're going to talk about finance. As I mentioned, I think there's a great opportunity for finance to talk not only about money, but also about the resources that go into your, your money. It's your the way you earn, the way you spend, how you plan, how you manage your debt, how you manage your budget. This is meaningful and purposeful decision making. And I got a couple things looking back on 2018 for this and going forward to 2019. So as I mentioned, I use You Need a Budget. It's a great piece of software. It helps me look and gives me a, a summary for my finances. I do want to make a quick note on this, a bit of a disclaimer around the finance portion of the podcast. I know that money can become a sensitive topic for a lot of people, as it should be. The main reason money seems to really get to people or not is because of what money represents. Money represents your value, your worth to a lot of people. So the way that you make it is what people are willing to pay you to do what you do, what service or what product you provide. The way you spend it is a representation of what you value. So if you spend all your money on things that other people deem frivolous, there may be a lot of judgment there. If you earn your money in a way that people find less than palpable, if you do something morally questionable people are not happy with that so money becomes a tricky topic i get that i hope that i can speak about it in such a way that isn't too judgmental that isn't too problematic for people but is instead helpful and maybe spark some thinking or some insight into your life that says hey if this is the way that cal is doing it or this is the way that he's looking at how his money choices his career choices his education choices have played out into the choices that he makes that that would be something that's helpful for you so I want to put that disclaimer on these topics just to start. We'll see how that fleshes out. I'm not sure the specificity that I'm going to talk about, maybe the nominal amounts of money that I deal with in my life, but I think that the perspectives maybe that I can offer with money would still be helpful or around not only money, but all the things that go around it. So how you spend it, how you plan it, and all that sort of thing. So looking back on 2018, this was a pretty good year for uh, my wife and I. We had a number of goals that we set out for in 2018. We found out that we were pregnant, that my, my wife was pregnant, so we wanted to purchase our first home. We had some long-term goals that we've had now for a while with our student debt, with the ways that we spend, and we were able to attain a lot of those goals. Uh, some of the critical things that help with that, I was proud to be able to attain a promotion at work. With that comes obviously an increase in income. Uh, and some responsibility. Maybe we're still trying to work on that part, <laughs> but uh, it, it was a good year. It helped us attain some of our goals. By no means am I saying that we were uh, swimming in cash, not at all. We also had to make some sacrifices and think through. We moved back in with our in-laws for a period of several months. There were some things that we did, but 2018 overall was, was a good year in terms of how it aligned with what our budgetary goals were and what our income goals were. But now we're here in 2019, and there's a lot of new things going on. As I mentioned, beginning of the podcast, we obviously now have our life with a new baby, with a child. That's going to be something that is quite different, something that we do not know how that's going to go or, or how to deal with that. So we're going to have to learn and roll with that. But right off the bat in this first month, we're certainly finding out that we're saving a bit on eating out uh, and on groceries and on gas. We have great support system. We've been really thankful for the people that have come around us and have given us some meals and have come and, and, and really supported us in that way. So we're prepared for some new spending with the baby, but we're going to have to learn what that really looks like. 
In 2019, things are gonna be different. We still have a lot of our long-term goals in terms of how we wanna pay down our debt. I'm hoping that to be debt-free by 2020, the end of 2020 will be attainable, and we're just learning on that. So around the finance, I didn't have a ton of extra content for this year. You know, I think that you have to maintain goals for yourself. You have to know some primary kind of underlying foundations. Like I said, the you need a budget software is really helpful. It has some rules about spending what you have, not overspending, of course, talking about how you want to maintain your dollars and assign them some good jobs. So uh, an offset of that or something I thought that might be relevant since here we are at the end of 2018, beginning of 2019, is typically when there's a transition for most people with their benefits and insurance. And this is extremely relevant for me right now with the birth of a new baby. So one topic on this quick that I wanted to hit on is that there's this element of your benefits uh, that you have to make choices, right? You have to you have to pick which insurance plan you wanna go for in a year. So for us, we utilize something called a high deductible health plan. Many people might've heard about this. It also comes with a health savings account. So I just wanna run over that quick. The high deductible plan essentially outlines that your monthly premium, what you pay, uh, comes out your paycheck each paycheck is going to be lower than the health plans with higher premiums but the coverage is a little more limited from your deductible so when you do actually go to the doctor if something comes up if you get sick or you need a procedure of some kind you will pay more out of pocket up front but your your month-to-month bills should be lower so that's the premise with the with the high deductible plan whereas a plan with a higher premium when you go to the doctor you pay less out of pocket in that moment but month to month uh, you pay more. So if you don't get sick very often, you're kind of locked in at paying a higher rate. But if you do get sick, then you're covered and you it's a peace of mind topic. The trade-off with the high deductible plan that we have is that it allows us to have a health savings account. So a health savings account is the money that we can set aside each month in order to build up a savings account for those medical expenses should they occur. So what I've committed to is basically I looked at what my premium would be with the bee's knees plan, right? For the sake of the argument here, let's say that the, the best plan is that you're paying $600 a month and that's your premium. So regardless if you get sick one time or a hundred times, you're paying $600 a month. When you go to the doctor, you have a li- very limited deductible for the year, some low coinsurance, that sort of thing. But no matter what, you could get sick zero times, you're paying 600 bucks a month. Now with the high deductible plan, you're paying probably a hundred dollars a month. So that's a big difference. You're locked in to $500 difference per month. And over the course, of the year that's six grand like that's a lot of money right so that difference is what i worked out and i said okay i'm going to keep us at our high deductible plan we will only pay our hundred dollars in premiums but i'm going to make up the difference and invest it into the savings account so although i'm only paying a hundred dollars in premiums i'm also going to commit to taking out another five hundred dollars that would have gone to my premium if i was paying into the the really great plan that has full coverage and means i have to pay nothing at the doctor and i'm going to set aside that five hundred dollars into my health savings account The cool thing with the health savings account for anyone who doesn't know is that the health savings account allows you to maintain that money for any medical expenses for any time into the future. Anyone in your family, any kind of medical expenses you have, whether that's deductible eligible or for a premium in the future or for anything you can think of that qualifies as a medical expense, that money's yours forever. It's not like you lose it at the end of the year, which is what is uh, the case in some flexible spending accounts. Uh, So that money that you put in there, you can use forever. The other thing that's nice with the health savings account is that typically, and this is the case for uh, the plan that I'm a part of, is that any money sitting in that savings account can also actually be invested. You can invest all of it or none of it into 
investment accounts and equities and bonds, right? And mutual funds. So that is a, something I'm taking advantage of. And it's been working out really well so far is that basically, if you continue to just put money into this account, you can actually also then take advantage and that money can be working for you in the, in the long run. I see that there's some pros there. You keep the money, first of all, it seems to be less expensive for my evaluation because even though I'm sort of meeting the premiums of the other plans, I'm still spending less because we don't go to the doctor so often. Uh, also, another kind of latent pro of this is that there, it reduces your tax exposure at the end of the year because it actually reduces how much is coming into your account via your paycheck each, each month. There's a lot of ways in which this helps. Plus, you get a little double dipping because you can actually swipe your credit card. So when you go to the hospital or you go to the doctor for your normal checkups and they ask for your deductible under your health plan, you swipe your credit card, you earn some credit card points, and then you pay off your credit card using that health savings account for those qualified expenses. So it does mean you have to be a little bit more kind of proactive in how you're planning this. You have to make sure that you maintain a receipt, you, you maintain an account of what you're doing. And for many people, maybe that kind of additional work going into it is just not really something that's worth it, right? You wanna know that when you have your health insurance, you pay your monthly amount and you're just good. You never have to worry, nothing can catch you off guard. But this is the approach that my wife and I have decided, we've talked through, I've done the math, I believe is a, is a good way to try to utilize the pros. I don't wanna skim over, of course there are some cons with the high deductible plan. That would be essentially that if you do go to the doctor frequently, more frequently than you expect, and you haven't been able to build up a health savings account to cover any unexpected expenses, then you have to have cash flow. You can now start to have to dip into other amounts of cash. That's a that's a daunting prospect is that the deductible can be higher if you are getting sick more frequently or something goes wrong. You have an unexpected illness and you don't have the cash available. That can be a problem. Other people just don't like the fact that it doesn't seem to have the full coverage. Now, by my understanding and what I've read of my benefit summary, and I don't know if other plans are different, but the high deductible plan really doesn't offer any difference in terms of what care is available to you. Maybe your network is slightly more limited, but for us, it hasn't been a problem. There's doctors that we find capable and are comfortable with within our network. But you know that could be an issue for other people as well. Maybe they read through the benefits and they say, you know what, I like to have the best of the best. If I'm paying the full amount upfront, I know that I have full access to anyone I could ever want to see, any specialist, anything like that. As I mentioned, this isn't something that I would want to cast any judgment on anyone for. Just want to explain that this is something that my wife and I are going to have to learn now with a baby. Uh, we're going to see, I, gosh, I may be on a podcast at the beginning of 2020 saying, wow, that was a terrible choice to stick with the high deductible plan. It was really difficult for us to maintain our savings account. The utilization that we tried to have with it really didn't pay off for us at all. I recommend that when you start a family, you know, you go to, to, to a higher premium plan. But for now, that's the choice we've made. Quick outline for anyone who has access or is making choices with benefits or starting a family, that could be for you, right? But if not, it's just the way that I want to think through. I am typically a person who thinks that we inflate our risks uh, and deflate the way that we can utilize lack of risk uh, in our life. So We'll see. This is uh, an, an area I'll have to revisit is the uh, the health plan choice over the year, but it seemed relevant here in the new year, kicking off the year. Otherwise, outside of that, I think in the financial world, I'd like to have some net worth increases this year. We'll have to see how I can pay off debt more aggressively or not. I'm going to be outlining some of those goals uh, for the future here as well. The last topic here, just with the financial portion, I wanted to quickly touch on as well is something that's been relevant to me is that there is an author I've found named Cal Newport. His name is Cal Newport, not Cal Nolan, not me, but I do love the fact that he has my name. 
Uh, he has two books that I've read recently in the last two months, both incredible, highly recommend. I actually read them kind of out of order from the, I read them more recently to older in terms of how they were published. I would recommend if you're going to check out Cal Newport and his books on work and productivity that you start in this order, read So Good They Can't Ignore You. That's the name of the first one in which he debunks the idea of doing work that you are quote unquote passionate about. He really talks about how you should attain skills in a career set. He calls it career capital and how you should then leverage that career capital into better and better opportunities that give you opportunities for control, creativity, and a mission in the work that you're doing. Uh, I loved his vision as, as to how you could go about doing that. He uses that phrase, so good, they can't ignore you to really attain a skill set that you could then leverage and invest into something that would make you a really good asset in this world uh, and have a job that you really, really love. So that's the first one he has. And then he has another book called Deep Work. I really, really enjoyed deep work. The premise behind this one is that we need to be more focused in the kind of work that we're doing to provide ourselves with value. He gives some incredible examples on how to stay concentrated, how to build a work and productivity schedule. He really outlines the ways in which we can improve the muscle or the ability that we have for concentration, for producing things in our career or in our life that are way more productive. So he kind of goes through and breaks it down on a neurological and personality level as to saying that people really can only be productive. We only have so much capacity for productivity in our lives. Uh, there's a common myth that basically, look, the longer you work, the more stuff you'll put out. And that's just not really true. His premise is that you need to be able to be more efficient with the hours that you have. Human beings only have so much capacity for working really, really hard and how that they're connected and producing valuable things that can be marketed in the world and can make a difference and can influence and change things. He says, rather than thinking you're going to stay connected and you're going to produce incredible output by outworking your uh, competitors in the marketplace or in your industry, rather figure out how with your, he calls it roughly four to six hours a day, not even an eight, eight hour work day in your shortened periods of true productive hours, how you can get more done. If you're a writer, how you can write better. If you're a computer programmer, how your software can be more influential. If you're a salesperson, how you can make additional sales in the same amount of time as your competition. So he shows and gives an outline for that. I am already trying to use some of the tactics and techniques that he offers in this book, Deep Work. I will certainly get back to those throughout the year. One of the first things I have here now on my desk, uh, I have a nice visualization. I picked just a couple things that I want to be doing in order to go deeper and be more productive with the working hours in my life in 2019. Because in 2018, I just found a lot of distraction. It was still a good year for me in my career. It was still a good year in terms of how I produced and, and set aside and was able to work. But I think it can go even better. It can be even further. I can get more satisfaction, enjoy my work more, have a better thing to look at. This podcast is one result of that. This is something that I kicked off in 2018 where I really thought about these, these topics, how I wanted to push myself, challenge myself, get better at what I was doing, make better use of some of the kind of additional working hours in my life. Uh, and in 2019, this visualization board, I've got some just clear things. I want to be reading the Bible every day. I want to be drinking 100 ounces of water. I want to be 
working out every day and I want to track and figure out where my deep work hours are being spent. So I've just got some clear visualizations. Am I doing those things? Just give myself a check mark. Think about it. Did I accomplish the goal? Am I measuring that goal? And then I have some longer term goals as well. I was giving myself to the end of January. Of course, that's tomorrow. So we'll see if I get that turned around. Uh, but I want to I want to have some more longer term goals for the probably just for the first quarter or two here in 2019. I think for the full year, it'll be easy if things don't go as, as planned. I have to be ready to, to change. But if I'm measuring the outcomes of my goals and I'm a little behind, I don't want that to deflate my whole experience. And so I just want to set some sort of goals that are attainable in the short term. And they should be things that are uh, measurable and attainable. They need to be specific, measurable, attainable. Uh, some good outlines there from Cal Newport. Just wanted to touch on that uh, going forward as well. The last bucket of choices that I had talked about in the introduction episode of this podcast was future, things about faith, ultimate cost, profoundly personal. For me this year, I haven't really thought too deeply about this topic. It's been such a whirlwind having a new son and learning to love my wife in a new way, which she has been incredible in raising our son. Uh, we haven't actually gotten to church all that often in these first few weeks just because the baby has been a lot to deal with. Uh, but I think there's just been some things that would be different for my faith in 2019 uh, if I look back on 2018. I didn't start serving in ministry the, the way I normally would in the fall in the student ministry, but I'll still have some ways to be involved in 2019. Uh, I want to grow my faith in a different way. It's being, you know, now that my family is growing, I'm taking on some new roles in terms of being a leader and how I think about and how I put forth the values that my family and my wife, that my child are now going to live by uh, and want to look to me to do that. So that's something that I'm trying to hold on to. And, you know, I don't have a ton of content right now in this in this in this area in terms of what my goals are going to look like, but I think there are some things that are measurable that should be the same for any anything else uh, in your life. So I'm going to add this and, and, and be talking more about this as well. I'm going to be teaching at a student conference coming up in a few weeks. I'd love to incorporate that into an upcoming episode as to what my topic is going to be. It's basically around this. It's about building a character for God through day-to-day -day choices. This seems like a far cry uh, from some of the other ways I look back in 2018 across fantasy and across my finance. But here we are saying I don't have a ton of additional content here for faith in this moment. But I know that this is going to be a critical. It always runs through how I look at and what I talk about in terms of those other areas of my life. And it will be evident in, in future episodes, I think, as there are topics that become clear and relevant in this in this way. With that, we're going to wrap it up here. I know that this has taken a few extra minutes, and the truth is this is my second take at this second episode. The first episode I had fully recorded and edited, and my software shut down on me, and unfortunately I lost all my work. But here I am. I've recorded the second episode. It's going to be out. Uh, I'm looking forward to all the 2019 brings. I hope that you've got some resolutions. Do not think that New Year's resolutions are too cliche in order for you to adopt. If you have a reason, if you can look back at the past with clear, honest insight, if you can set goals for your future, and if you can have a certain motivation, this is going to be your best year yet. I hope that it is for me, and I hope that this podcast is a helpful resource as we talk about those things as well. That's it for me. Let's get after it in 2019. Much love.